Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists who spend our lives asking tough questions to experts who really know their stuff so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about the booster jabs. And why experts still say giving a third dose is not just medically unnecessary, but also given the fact that 20 million Britons are unvaccinated, it could also be ethically questionable. As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So tweet us using the hashtag medicalminefield or email us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. So, Eve, I have to say, when you started talking about this a couple of weeks back, I was not aware of what you were talking about. You were talking about the fact that some people are having something called a third primary dose. Some people are having boosters. It was all very confusing. And the background to this is that we were all quite surprised that the booster programme or third dose programme or whatever it was, was going ahead at all. Because certainly the smoke signals coming from the scientific community and particularly from experts we know at the JCVI who decide on vaccination programs was that boosters weren't necessary they weren't needed and because there are so many people who are still unvaccinated almost 20 million in britain that should be the real focus rather than giving extra doses to people who are already essentially unlikely to end up in hospital because of covid i think that is true um with regards to the booster program which is is uh, essentially involving everyone over 50 and people who have risks which means that they will be um, more likely to get severely ill with COVID. So just generally every adult, this is the booster programme. This is the, the yeah. yeah, the kind of mainstream, if you like, booster programme. So everyone over 50. Yeah. Separate to that, you then have a programme which was announced, it was terrible timing, only a few weeks before the booster programme began. The JCVI recommended that immunocompromised people, so people who suffer with conditions that mean that the vaccine wouldn't work very well for them, the first two doses should have a top-up dose, which is a third dose. Now, that's very different from a booster because this is is known as a third primary dose. So whereas for you and I, the initial course of the vaccine is two doses and then there might be a booster, not for us, but for the over 50s. For this set of people, the course, initial course is three doses. But I'm aware there are those in the scientific community who question even that, that if people haven't reacted to the first two doses, they might never react to the doses to the jab to the vaccine at all? Well, scientists say that I think there's about 25% of that group, the immunocompromised group, who are unfortunately just not going to react to any vaccine. But for obviously the large majority of them, it's very important that they have this third dose. However, there seems to be some sort of uproar within this patient population because a lot of them are saying that they've gone to get this third primary dose and the GP surgeries and the healthcare professionals in their community have no idea what they're talking about. They're saying, don't you mean a boost? and these patients saying no it's my third primary dose so uh, you've got on one hand otherwise healthy people being offered this booster and able to walk into anywhere they want and get it when a lot of scientists are saying that actually that might not be necessary for them and on the other hand you have perhaps the population that are the most vulnerable to this virus um, in the country who can't get their initial full dose well it's all very confusing yes (laughs) It is, it is. And I've tried to wrap my head around it for this this week. And it's interesting. There's lots of different debates going on within this arena. 
Look, it's, it's undeniable that boosters are a popular concept, which is no doubt why the government have brought them in. Every time we've written about the subject, we get scores of letters from readers saying that they are all for it, they want to have their boosters. And I can see psychologically why it feels reassuring. But... I mean, for instance, Professor Adam Finn of the JCVI, prior to the programme being announced, asked people to imagine it uh, like we're all floating at sea in a shipwreck and uh, some people have life jackets and other people don't. It's like putting on a second life jacket Mm. when there are people out there who haven't got a single one, which I thought was a very good analogy. No one needs two life jackets. As much as you might feel... Like it makes you, I mean, you probably would float for longer, but um, do you need it? No. Well, well, some scientists I've seen who have suggested that overall we would see a small boost in protection, really small percentage by introducing boosters. But actually, if we were to vaccinate the people who haven't even had one dose, we'd see a huge drop in the number of hospitalisations and that would be more effective. My hot take on this for the last couple of weeks has been that, in fact, the government have done their sums and decided you know, sod the lot of them. To hell with them. To hell with them. 20 million people, unvaccinated, let's leave them to it. And what's going to happen within that population? I mean, that's the big question. Are we going to see a sort of mini pandemic of the unvaccinated until, I suppose, until the survivors have enough natural immunity that they're not going to succumb to severe illness? And and what happens to the others? They die. I think it's definitely enough time has passed now, hasn't it, that if you haven't had your vaccine already, you're probably not going to have it. I I think that maybe the government's decided that there isn't any convincing this population because they've tried and failed. So... What else can you do? Get on with supporting the rest of the population with other vaccines. But is that how we approach public health? For instance, we've got, you know, terrible uptake of the uh, cervical screening programme in certain sections of the community. And, uh, for instance, uh, another area of concern is the low numbers of people from black and other ethnic minority backgrounds and specifically from mixed racial backgrounds on the donor registers Mm. do we give up on those too because it's difficult because these people are hard to reach or that's just not the way that health works that's not the way that public health should work surely and we have said from the very beginning that there's only a very small proportion of the people who haven't been vaccinated who are you know very dogged in their approach and they do not want to have a vaccine because they're against vaccinations or whatever the case may be for the vast majority of those people it's practical problems it's organizational issues and we you know just nervousness i suppose yeah no Nervousness, maybe fear Still. of needles. Mm. And and we, we know this from other vaccines. I know that Dr Ellie Cannon, our columnist, has written about this before, that childhood vaccines is a good example, that often the reason why children aren't vaccinated isn't because the parents are anti-vax. It's just because they have complicated lives. It's quite difficult to organise themselves to get their children in to get vaccinated. And I wonder if if a certain proportion of that is true here. Look, first of all, I think let's tackle the question about whether a booster is really going to benefit us medically. Uh, So how much extra protection are we going to get from this booster programme? And you've got someone who can answer those questions. Yes, I do. On the line with me is Dr Penny Ward, who is visiting professor in pharmaceutical medicine at King's College London. Dr Ward, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, thank you. Booster shots might feel reassuring, but do you think we really need them? Uh, there have been a couple of um, sources of information which have looked at um, the uh, sustained effect of the vaccines over time. 
And in older people and people at higher risk of severe disease, the evidence suggests that there's a waning of vaccine effect in terms of protection against infection within uh, six months of uh, completion of the primary course. The protection against hospitalizations is longer lasting, but information from Israel also suggested that after protection against infection had waned, protection against severe disease also waned, but at a later period. Further studies have shown that since Israel reintroduced booster shots for their higher risk uh, population, that the incidence of infections and also of hospitalizations went down. So it's for all those reasons that um, most authorities are now recommending booster shots uh, six months or so after completion of the final course, uh, particularly for people at higher risk. Hmm. Dr Ward, will everyone respond to this booster? Um, Certainly those of us that are otherwise fit and healthy and are not taking any medicines likely to suppress our immune response uh, will have another boost to our uh, immunity from the uh, booster shot, uh, which is really the purpose of giving it. Uh, But for a tiny portion of of people, um, very small numbers in our population, who are very profoundly immune suppressed, uh, either because of, of inherited immune deficiency or who are taking um, drugs that very profoundly depress their immune system, they may not respond uh, to these uh, additional shots uh, of vaccine. Dr. Ward, some scientists have suggested that actually vaccinating our fully vaccinated population again is slightly silly and that maybe we'd be better off focusing our attention on the unvaccinated proportion of our population or indeed giving the extra doses to those in other countries who haven't been able to vaccinate as many um, of their citizens. What what do you think about that? Um, Well, it is the case that... um, uh we have a portion of our population who were offered the vaccine but have yet to take up that offer. And indeed, um, outreach continues uh, to try to um, persuade uh, people who have not yet come forward for vaccination to take up the offer for a primary course, particularly as the winter approaches. The fact is that manufacturing capacity is not large enough to provide a, a vaccine course for every single person on the earth that needs it. And it's a brave government that decides to give away vaccine courses when there is already evidence of waning effect of vaccines. It had been hoped that after a primary course that protection would last for over a year, uh, but that has proven not to be the case. Uh, And so a brave government would uh, really wish to use um, booster vaccinations for their own country population, particularly here in the UK, where we have a constrained healthcare system and are among the nations worst affected by COVID. Dr Ward, can I ask, life is very much back to normal these days and there's no intention in government to introduce, for instance, vaccine passports. So uh, mass events will be unregulated in that respect unless a venue chooses to do so of their own volition. What is going to happen to those 20-odd million unvaccinated people now that the virus will circulate completely freely amongst them? Uh, Well, unless there are other means of preventing infection in that group, they remain at risk of infection and um, indeed of severe disease. And it's precisely for that reason that there is a continued 
outreach uh, going on to try to persuade individuals that haven't yet been vaccinated to come forward. Is outreach being effective? There is some evidence in some communities that it is. Uh, peer, peer pressure is by far the best, um, obviously, uh, and, um, and that has been going on. Uh, uh, there's another opportunity with uh, a, another a major festival in one community coming up in, in November. And indeed, uh, with the winter months approaching and people perhaps feeling a little bit more inclined uh, to uh, take up the offer of influenza vaccination, that also gives another opportunity to offer people uh, both COVID and flu vaccines at the same time, if, if appropriate. Dr Ward, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure the outreach programmes are diverse. I've seen a stand outside Turnpike Lane station uh, with exactly zero people queuing up outside of it to sign up for a vaccine. Um, Uh, Yeah, I've seen similar situations (laughs) near where I am too. I mean, you've always suggested that they should have some sort of pop-up tent in supermarket car parks or, um, you know, even by the tills. Yeah, yeah, do it. I mean, they did the same with diabetes screening Mm. at the Morrisons when I lived in Holloway. And uh, they always had people going in for that because, you know, you could get the test there and then it wasn't about signing anything. And I think people should be given the vaccine sort of almost no questions asked. You should just turn up. I've not had the vaccine. Mm. Get a jab. I mean, you might get a few strange individuals who uh, choose to have more than their fair share of doses, but I imagine that would be uh, a rarity. I think next let's talk to a scientist who I know has had reservations in the past about uh, offering a booster program when so many people are unvaccinated Um, but having spoken to him more recently it seems to feel a little bit more won over. Uh, Dr David Strain who is a public health expert at Exeter Medical School. David thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. When we have spoken in the past you've expressed some reservations about the about the need for a booster programme. You're not alone amongst scientists in that. Could you explain why? Yes, it's because that the original two dose that we gave are still really effective about keeping people out of hospital. And if they are unfortunate enough to catch COVID despite being double vaccinated, they have a very different disease course. They they get better very quickly. Um, so even if they do come into hospital, they're only in there for a couple of days before they go home. And um, I do want to stress that that is very different from giving a third vaccine to people who are immunocompromised. And the third vaccine makes up their full treatment course because it does take that extra dose in order to give them the protection. Um, So it was just, should we really be focusing on this booster program or should we be focusing on trying to reach the 10, 15, 20% of the population that still haven't had their primary vaccine and still haven't got that original protection? So what do you feel has changed? Why has the booster programme gone ahead? And, and, you know, for instance, coercive methods that we all thought that might be introduced, like vaccine passports, uh, have been put by the wayside in favour of this booster programme. What's changed? 
So the two things that have really changed. Um, the first thing is that we are realizing, despite the high circulating levels, the, the younger population that we were really keen to get the vaccine into still don't appear to be getting hospitalized, still don't be getting sick. And that's just the nature of COVID. It hasn't been causing major um, complications in this population. And the amount of extra work that's required to reach these people who are either vaccine hesitant or vaccine deniers it is disproportionate for the amount of benefit that we get. The second thing that changed is we saw a rise in cases in Israel. Now, Israel had a very similar booster program to us. The, the main difference is that they were giving their two jabs three to four weeks apart, as opposed to our government went for this um, protracted gap between it, this two to three months between the jabs. Now, we know the two to three months gave better protection than giving the jabs three or four weeks apart. However, that notwithstanding, we did see hospitalizations and deaths start to rise in Israel. And we have to bear in mind that the first indication that we get of that happening in the UK would be the hospitals becoming overwhelmed again and people starting to die. So I think the government have taken the preemptive strike that they've seen that this is what's happening in Israel that were a similar point to us with a vaccination. And therefore, rather than waiting till we are overrun again and waiting until people are dying um, of this disease again, let's go ahead now, get the boosters in and give the extra protection. And it's important to say that this booster is actually giving you another 90% protection on top of the 85 to 90% that you're already getting. So this is making it effectively allowing life to continue as normal, despite these relatively high rates in the community. I spoke with some of my contacts on the JCVI today, and they suggested there wasn't a, 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 a complete consensus as to whether the, the booster program was needed. Uh, certainly one board member told me that they still felt it was vital and more important to get the unvaccinated vaccinated than offer boosters to people who were already being given 93%, according to the Lancet paper published yesterday, less likely to end up in hospital um, after two doses. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's important to say it's not an either-or process. This is something that we are still pursuing, getting that extra... But there is that worry. There's that, there's that vibe, isn't there? You know, no vaccine passports, um, you know, life back to normal. And very much the main thrust of what we're hearing from government and COVID now is about boosters. You know, it feels a bit like they've abandoned all attempts to really persuade any more people to get a jab? It's not so much abandonment. The, so the, the vaccine passports, I think one of the reasons that was shelved, there was a lot of work done in the psychology of mandating vaccines. And now at the moment, vaccination is an opportunity to keep yourself healthy, to keep you know, reduce your risk of long COVID as well as that acute infection. If that is suddenly mandated, that almost plays into the hands that people who don't believe in the vaccine, who people think that this is in, in some big conspiracy, as soon as you mandate it, that plays into their hands. So we are still pursuing getting vaccination for the, um, the younger population who are the predominant people who are not vaccinated. But there's also a workload effort. We are in the process of rolling out the, the national annual flu vaccine. And that is a great opportunity to get the booster and the flu jab in rather than two for one later on. And um, remember that if someone's coming in for a flu jab anyway, 
and we can double, we can give them their boost of vaccination. That gives them an extra six to 12 months worth of protection or hopefully even longer than that. That means that that one appointment has seen that person through right through to next year. But I can see that there, there are pragmatic suggestions, pragmatic problems here, as opposed to the science behind it. And the reality is, the only way we'll know for certain with the science behind it is if we do wait until people start dying, until we do start to see that vaccine failure. And I do, I fully agree with uh, the, the decision that's been made that it's too late once the hospitals are overwhelmed again. It's too late once people are starting to die to then start rolling out a booster because that then takes another month six weeks or even longer before that gets the numbers back down again. David, is there any sign that that is already beginning to happen? Have there been any kind of indications that we are on the same trajectory as Israel in terms of hospitalisations and deaths beginning to increase? We are seeing that the number of people admitted to hospital who have been double vaccinated and are catching COVID and ending up on our wards despite this double vaccination are creeping up very slowly. Now, I want to stress that is very, very slow. It's very, very small numbers. We're still, um, we're still at a fraction of the admissions that we were this time last year. But even the slightest indication that it's going in the right way and the very clear pattern that it did happen at about this stage in Israel, albeit with the shorter gap between them and therefore probably less protection. Again, it, it, just a small indication is enough for us to start worrying that by the time we see the deaths going up, it is too late to do anything about it. The, the vaccines take six to eight weeks within a community to bring those numbers back down again. David, what do you think is going to happen in amongst the 20 million or so Britons who are unvaccinated over the next six months, what will we see? Well, COVID in the community is still rife. Um, we still are actually higher community rates of COVID than we were when we went into a lockdown previously. Um, and the reason we haven't needed to worry about it as much at the moment is because we have this protection. But the unvaccinated population are going to start to come in with it. And these are the population that we are causing the death. And um, the, the paper in The Lancet highlights just how easy it is for even youngers, uh, as young as 15, we heard about last week, that are ending up with COVID and dying as a result of it. They will start to see this. Um, many of the people who are vaccine hesitant because they were worried that this hadn't been uh, around for long enough for us to have, to have confidence in, once we're 12 months or 18 months into a programme, they will start to see that actually, yes, it has been around. No, it's not causing any of the problems that um, some people were concerned about. Things like the disturbance for the menstrual periods that a lot of females were talking about is just a natural response to any inflammatory reaction and not the COVID vaccine upsetting them. That the risk of myocarditis is very, very small. And those people who do get myocarditis get better on their own with paracetamol. And all of these concerns that people have had will start to be addressed by just seeing other people. And the vaccine-hesitant people, so that is not people who are anti-vax, people who are just uncertain, will start to see certainty, particularly as they see their peers being affected by COVID and ending up in hospital. There will always be people who are against vaccination. And actually, we are never going to change their mind. Um, we can try reason, we can provide them with evidence. But the problem there is that there is a lot of fake news. There is a lot of people who can pull up stuff from social media and um, will believe the stuff from social media rather than believing the scientific papers. 
with those people, we are not going to change their mind. Um, I've had a few of those have actually arrived in hospital with severe COVID and still telling me that it wasn't worthwhile to be vaccinated. They're a population that we are not going to reach, but we do have to try and treat them as best we can. And what do you say to them? So the, the vaccine hesitant, these people who are concerned, naturally concerned about anything that's going on in their body, explaining to them how safe this is, how it works, how it doesn't put any DNA into their cells. It's not going to change their makeup. This is just basically giving their body an instruction manual to say, produce this protein and then produce antibodies to this protein. It's not changing their own DNA. That is enough for people who are vaccine um, hesitant. When it comes to the anti-vaxxers, we can try reasoning, we can try negotiating, but the reality is we just treat them for the disease that they have in front of them and then have those conversations afterwards and see if they still feel the same. And we have had some people who've been vaccine has uh, vax, anti-vax rather who've seen the disease that they ended up with and they have actually become some of our most staunch supporters for getting their colleagues out there mm. to tell us look this is real this is something you need to take seriously and it's it's quite amazing how we've seen people who were completely anti to be really banging on the drums and saying get your vaccine now i've been through it you don't want to experience this Otherwise, it's a very high price to pay, really, for these misguided beliefs. David, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us today. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Well, that's at least positive to hear that David Strain thinks that vaccine-hesitant people will be convinced as time goes on. Yes, it seems like even sceptical scientists who were unsure about the need for a booster programme are now more on side with it. Well, I guess it's happening now, so there's not really much that scientists can say. They're hardly going to be rallying against it when everyone's queuing up to get their booster. It seems like a lot hinges on this phenomenon that we saw in Israel. They saw a rising number of uh, hospitalisations in vaccinated, fully vaccinated individuals. And I wonder what their proportion of unvaccinated people were in the country was it it's it's similar to us i think that they're about 17 percent, and we're between 15 and 20 percent. i think the estimates here so similar very comparable absolutely there's been some criticism about the success of their booster program um, and making comparisons to us some people have said that the people who go forward to get their booster programs are likely going to be exhibiting different behavior from people who aren't having a booster so they're more likely to be older and therefore not having that many social contacts um, and that sort of thing. So uh, there's some question about just how successful their booster programme has been, although it does seem to be reducing hospitalisations by about 20%. And of course, the other thing with all vaccination programmes is that they uh, suffer a kind of people get bored, don't they? You get a very high uptake at the beginning of a program, and then the momentum dies out. Momentum yeah. dies out, and I mean we've seen that in in the states with a combination of 
boredom and, um, you know, obviously dissatisfaction at the feeling that flu jabs uh, for children are mandated. Mm. Um, you get very low uptake now. Of, of, I mean, some people say that their flu vaccination programme in children should be scrapped because it's it's so unpopular. It's pointless. Mm. Well, I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be a public health expert on the JCVI right now. It's It's a terrible amount of weighing up of... If I do this, this will happen. If I don't do this, this will happen. And it's all based on prevention because I think the issue is is that we've seen the worst of what can happen if we don't act quickly or right. we don't preempt the worst scenario. And so now everybody wants to, well, play a guessing game as to what's going to happen one step mm. ahead and try and stop that from happening. I can't help but feel it's quite bleak that 20 million group of unvaccinated Britons all who will have COVID circulating and are, you know many of them will be at high risk you know even if the younger ones aren't they will be in touch with older people who aren't vaccinated and they'll they'll sort of have their own own pandemic their own spike and I mean that's coming I, I guess well Dr Strain seemed quite positive that as time goes on and more of their peer groups start to get the vaccine or get COVID, they they will be convinced. And I hope that that is the case. And until then, it's uh, double life jackets for everyone. I mean, I will take it <laughs> if I'm offered it. Of course, because, you know, we, we're now hearing that you'll have to have a booster in order to travel, that some countries such as, I believe, Croatia, aren't going to recognise people who have only had two vaccines as being fully vaccinated, that we're all going to have to have boosters. Well, given that we're not doing domestic COVID vaccine passports, I imagine that travel is going to be the thing that really sways people who are on the fence. Well, it will all remain to be seen. And that's all we have time for this week. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.